My name is Vaiva Dabravoskaite, and this is an ESVS podcast. As promised, I'm returning with more information on preparations for FEBVS exam. Last week, we focused on exam structure. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to podcast one, I strongly recommend you to start from that one. Today, the FEBVS examination chair, Professor Mauro Gargiulo, is here with me, and we will go through clinical cases, illustrating them with real scenarios from previous exams. Welcome, Professor Gargiulo. Hi, welcome. It's a pleasure to stay with you today. Okay, uh, without further delay, let's start. Uh, as a short introduction, I would like to remind to all that Every FBS exam has four clinical cases, aortic, lower limb, endovascular, and miscellaneous. These are real cases from European centers, and it will be presented in front of you on a PowerPoint presentation on a laptop. The areas covered will include diagnostics, differential diagnosis, imaging modalities, interpretation of them, management plans, management of postoperative complications, the presentation may include also different classification graphs, images, scans. The clinical case, one of them lasts for 15 minutes, and a fellow may receive a maximum of 64 points for all four cases solved flawlessly. Uh, what would be your five major advices one solves clinical case? Thank you, Vaiva. Uh, I, I think that the first aspect is to be calm during the discussion because uh, you have examiners, but the examiners... Uh, don't want to try to put the candidate in difficulty, but they want to ask about your clinical practice, discuss about the diagnosis, the different pathologies that we can discuss in your and the modality that you treat the patients in your daily practice. Then we don't need to agree absolutely with our choice, but we want to understand exactly the approach that you have uh, in uh, your idea, in uh, your mind for the treatment of these patients. Then uh, I don't have exactly some uh, major advices, but I think that it's important to follow your approach in uh, your daily practice for patients with different pathologies in vascular disease. So without further delay, let's go to the first case. I present you a 78-year-old woman. She is a former smoker with the following coexisting medical conditions. Bilateral carotid stenosis of 60%, diabetes without peripheral neuropathy, hypertension, ischemic heart disease with a history of angioplasty, and two years prior, she had ephemeral popliteal bypass with PTFE graft on a right limb. At the ER, she presents with right lower limb rest pain and trophic lesions. An examinee should interpret this information in a few sentences. What would it say to you? Uh, this is a patient with uh, cardiovascular disease, uh, with a history of critical limb ischemia and uh, right uh, revascularization. Then uh, I think he's a former smoker, diabetes, uh, then probably it's a patient with peripheral arterial occlusive disease, and we want to define correctly the pathway of this treatment, the diagnosis and the treatment of these patients. And moving on to the next piece of information. So in her lab test, she had elevated white blood cells of 20.1. Her hemoglobin was 11.2, LDL cholesterol 80. She has a normal renal and hepatic function. How would you proceed furthermore? And do you need any more tests? Yeah, in these patients, probably there is an infection because we have a high 
white blood cell. And we can see according with trophic lesion, if we have a trophic lesion, quality of trophic lesion, the presence of infection at the level of the trophic lesion. Then I think that after the, the examination of the leg, we need to start to visit the patients and according with this light to define the pulses. In this case, we have only femoral pulse and without popliteal anterior and posterior, then the idea is an infra-inguinal peripheral teleocclusive disease with trophic lesion, then it's a patient with critical limb ischemia probably associated even if the patient is diabetic. Exactly. So you would see an image with a trophic lesion in front of you, which will be giving you an information about possible infection, a locus swelling, and edema. And in the clinical assessment of a patient, so as Professor mentioned, you would have only femoral pulses. Well, probably uh, as well, many of you would ask, maybe take a swab from the wound and things like that and consider further imaging. So what would be your next imaging uh, you would perform on the patient? Yeah, in a patient like this, you know, first I want to define according with the classification the, the leg. Then you can use, if you wanted, the oldest one like Le Riche Fontaine, the English one that is the Rutherford. But this is a patient with trophic lesion, then we need to go deeply in the Wi-Fi classification of a peripheral arterial disease. Then we need to evaluate approximately distal uh, extension uh, of the disease. Then in these patients, uh, the first step in our daily practice, for example, is to use uh, the duplex ultrasound to define uh, the extension of the disease. And after that, if uh, we define a, a very long occlusion according with the glass classification, we need to evaluate the presence of the autologous vein in these patients. And of course, in this patient previously had a bypass, so obviously would also with duplex would check that whether it's patent or not. Okay, do you perform in your practice routinely any pressure measurements? Yes, generally in our daily practice, no, because the patients have a lesion in the distal part of the leg, and you know that the pressure is a problem probably to define. Generally, we add the uh, uh, in angiography to define uh, the distal part uh, of the leg and arteries, uh, uh, the quality of the arteries in the legs. I think you made a very important point. I think the future examinees should uh, take this note that uh, even though the case will be led in a certain way with certain tests, that does not mean that there is uh, one way to Rome. So we have to just verify our answers and uh, our choice of treatment, which we would perform for the patient. So that doesn't mean that your way would be wrong if it's not according to the slides you are following. Okay, so the team in this vascular center did perform duplex ultrasound and it showed femoral popliteal bypass occlusion, SFA and popliteal artery lung occlusion, ATP and peroneal artery lung occlusion and ATP patent at the ankle. This group did perform an angiography and in geography did confirm the same findings. And in a real exam, you would get an images in front of you. Uh, may you uh, describe them in a few sentences, Professor? Yeah, very quickly, you can see the occlusion of the SFA with stenosis of the profunda uh, femoral artery, the occlusion of popliteal artery, and the occlusion of proximal segment of tibial vessels with the patency 
of the peroneal artery and the uh, diseased anterior tibial artery, but without uh, any visualization of posterior tibial artery in this case. In the distal part, you can see uh, exactly the anterior tibial artery, the diseased anterior tibial artery, and the, the peroneal artery in the distal part continues with the, the posterior perforating artery, but with the occlusion of the anterior perforating artery. And uh, you can see in the foot, uh, we have a plantar artery and probably an occlusion of dorsalis pedis artery and intermetatarsal patent. So um, before we move on to management, can you, based on the guidelines, mention to us what kind of treatment methods we have at this point? Thank you. This is an important point. We define it according with the angiography and the duplex. There is a, a long occlusion of the SFA and the, uh, the occlusion of popliteal artery. Then according with the class classification, we need surgical revascularization. And uh, you know that according with the uh, global guidelines, we need to define, uh, according with the plan evaluation, uh, the risk of patients regarding surgical and endovascular revascularization. In these patients, uh, probably we have a risk of surgical treatment, but the length of the occlusion is in favor of surgical treatment. Then uh, we think that in these patients, uh, the first choice is a surgical treatment, but we need to define correctly even the quality of the autologous vein, because if we have ipsilateral or contralateral autologous vein, we can do a bypass with, with vein, because in this case, generally in our daily practice, with a distal anastomosis at the peroneal artery, we need autologous vein for the revascularization. So the team, uh, vascular team in this uh, unit where the patient was treated, they have chosen surgical repair, and we already discussed the possible options. Uh, what are the conduit options possible to be used in um, lower limb ischemia and in the bypass surgery? Yeah, generally, if it's possible, uh, we use the ipsilateral saphenous vein. If it's not possible, the second choice is the contralateral saphenous vein, or the last choice, the third choice, is the arm veins, generally basilic encephalic vein, in uh, conduit uh, with the, the arm veins. Then uh, we need to evaluate preoperatively the patient with duplex ultrasound to define the veins uh, in the legs uh, in the arm of these patients. And in, in this certain pa uh, patient, she had had already the PTFE, and we all understand that uh, she will have a coronal bypass, and doing that with synthetic uh, graft material is not neither supported by literature nor would be the best option. But, I mean, it's technically also an option. So this team did an ultrasound and assessed the vein, so they evaluated that great saphenous vein is of good quality, Contralaterally, so ipsilaterally, it was not uh, possible to be used. Proximally, it's of a diameter of 5 millimeters and distally 2.4. Professor, can you tell us where would you do your proximal and your distal anastomosis in this case? The proximal uh, anastomosis will be at the level of common femoral artery and the distal anastomosis at the level of the peroneal artery immediately after the revascularization of this artery according with the diameter of the vein that I can see in this slide. Uh, I think that it's better to use uh, the non-reverse bypass 
but we prefer uh, to make uh, a valvulotomy of the contralateral vein. And then uh, after the valvulotomy, uh, we do a bypass uh, between uh, the common femoral artery and the peroneal artery. So you kind of spoiled the next question. So what are the possible orientations of vein grafts? So we have in situ option, reverse and non-reversed. And then so professor already told what he would prefer to perform in those cases. And the vascular team in this particular case as well performed a non-reversed great saphenous vein bypass surgery with a proximal anastomosis on common femoral artery and the distal one on the peroneal artery. All right, and then vascular team performed uh, intraoperative angiography, and you would have images in front of you. Professor, can you comment them in a few sentences? Yeah, uh, you can see uh, in the first image uh, on the left side the proximal anastomosis at the level of common femoral artery in the anteroposterior view, and the proximal segment of bypass uh, without any stenosis uh, in the bypass. You can see in the second one. Uh, the bypass in the subcutaneous uh, probably location and uh, without again uh, no lesion of the uh, this saphenous vein and uh, in the third one you can see the distal part of the bypass and the distal anastomosis at the level of the peroneal artery without any lesion at the level of the anastomosis or lesion in uh, the bypass and distally and then the, on the right side of the slide you can see the peroneal artery in the distal segment with the posterior perforating artery and the revascularization of plantar, the common plantar artery. And you can see even the distal part of the anterior tibial artery and probably intermetatarsal artery and not the dorsalis pedis artery. This is uh, the image uh, that we have in this slide in the lateral view. Uh, we can see probably the absence of dorsalis pedis artery. So in, in other words, we are quite happy with the result compared to the one we had before the procedure. Absolutely, yes. I think it's a very good result and with a correct revascularization of the leg and the foot of these patients. Uh, do you routinely perform intraoperative angiography and uh, why do you think it's important? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good idea because we can define correctly the quality of the vein after the valvulotomy in particular. And I want to define correctly even the runoff of the bypass. And we already kind of a little bit forgot the trophic lesion we had. How would you assess that and would you treat it and in what way? We define that this is trophic lesion probably with the infection according with increase of white blood cells and uh, even according with uh, the macroscopic image uh, of the trophic lesion. Generally, these patients, after the revascularization, we try to make treatment of trophic lesion at the end of the revascularization. In the same uh, operation, at the end of the revascularization, we make uh, a debridement of the trophic lesion to evaluate correctly the involvement of deep tissues in this trophic lesion, we want to eliminate all um, the necrotic materials and we want to see the correct tissue. And um, after you do the debridement, what would be your further therapy on the wound? If you have it uh, all cleaned out and the margins are clean, would you apply negative pressure wound therapy or hyperbaric oxygen therapy, a skin graft or any other technique? Trophic lesion with involvement of deep tissues, 
we generally prefer to use negative pressure treatment of trophic lesion to guarantee the healing of the trophic lesion and at the same time to grow tissue from the bottom up to the skin surface. And if we need at the end, we use even skin graft to cover the trophic lesion. Exactly. And that was actually what the vascular team in that specific unit did. So they did apply negative pressure wound therapy a few cycles. And then after that, they did perform a surgery with a skin graft to cover the defect in the skin. And here in front of you, you would actually see the images uh, before the skin graft application and 20 days after skin graft. And the wound had healed completely and it looks really, really nice. There is no uh, redness, no inflammation, no edema. And it seems that both vipers and the debridement and the correct treatment had worked well. Uh, what about antibiotic therapy? We had not discussed that one. How would you define how long would you apply the antibiotics and what would be your choice of antibiotics? Generally, we treat with the broad-spectrum antibiotics before to make a debridement of trophic lesion. And after the debridement, we use culture of the tissues to define if we have some type of microorganisms that we need to treat with antibiotics, specific antibiotics. We have treated the patient and now we are thinking about the follow-up strategies and also what kind of medical treatment, medical therapy you would apply for this patient based on guidelines and maybe some uh, published studies such as COMPAS study or Voyager uh, PAD study can help you out to define them. Yeah, uh, generally regarding the follow-up, we use a clinical a duplex follow-up in these patients uh, and uh, after the easing of trophic lesion, our follow-up is uh, with the duplex and the clinical evaluation after one month and after three, six, and 12 months. Regarding uh, the medical therapy, this is a very important question because we have three different options today to use uh, uh, single antiplatelets. We have the possibility to use antiplatelets associated with rivaroxaban according with the Voyager and the sub-analysis of the Voyager uh, trial. And we know that we have at the same time uh, the Dutch experience that reported the use of warfarin and the revascularization with the uh, saphenous vein when um, uh, distal anastomosis in the tibial vessels. In our daily practice, it's, if the patients have no contraindication to the warfarin, we frequently use warfarin for these patients, but because with warfarin, we can increase the, in our experience, the assisted patency with the warfarin, you can treat the patients before the occlusion of the bypass because with warfarin, it's not frequent to have an occlusion of bypass, even if you have a very tight stenosis. Recently, we know, according with the Voyager, that there is a, the possibility to use rivaroxaban associated with a cardio with a aspirin 
And uh, this is another option, a comparison or study of comparison between uh, warfarin versus uh, the Voyager uh, Association cardioaspirin. On the top of that, of course, we have mentioned about patients' diabetes and LDL cholesterol was high. So obviously, we, we expect that uh, examinees would remember that and would try to keep those measures as well under control with medication and dietary measures. Absolutely. So our case, I present an 18-year-old female with a history of hypertension, dyslipidemia, atrial fibrillation. Patient is on warfarin. Patient had a cardiac bypass surgery, post-infarction, chronic ischemic heart disease, and the surgical treatment of breast cancer. On top of that, back in 2001, patient had a right carotid endarterectomy with restenosis treated on that side with a patch apposition. In 2012, a left carotid endarterectomy was made. In 2001, the patient was diagnosed with peripheral occlusive artery disease and presented with bilateral claudication. An autoiliac stenting was performed. Seven years after that, left external iliac artery was treated endovascularly with PTA and stenting. In 2011, due to obstruction of both iliac axes, an orthobifemoral bypass with PTFE graft was performed. In 2014, left distal anastomosis had a stenosis and left femoral endarterectomy with PTFE graft between a prosthetic branch and a left deep femoral artery was placed. In 2018, a severe stenosis of the left distal graft was diagnosed and the left deep femoral artery prosthetic branch was replaced. So we have an elderly patient with severe history of cardiovascular diseases and multiple procedures on her vessels and uh, multiple accesses in the groins. In 2020, March, patient presented to a vascular unit due to a right groin fistula and a left groin pseudoaneurysm. Images are presented. What would be your overall description of this patient and what would that indicate to you already based on the images you see in front of you? Thank you. This is a patient with an old history of the aortoiliac disease and treatment of aortoiliac disease and the reintervention at the level of the groins, both groins. And now, according with this image, you can see on the right side the groin fistula and on the left side the groin pseudoanalysis with phlogosis. We don't know if it's infection or not, but with the inflammation of the groin. Then um, in a patient with uh, orthobifemoral bypass, uh, re-intervention in the groin uh, and the uh, right fistula with uh, materials, uh, probably is infection in the groin. My first idea is that in this patient, we have an infection of the graft, not only in the right, but even on the left side, where probably we have this pseudoaneurysm related to an infection of the distal anastomosis. So what tests or images you would like to have from this patient or lab tests in order to confirm your suspicion? Yeah, I think that we can start with some lab tests to evaluate culture, to evaluate if there is a systemic infection. We can define culture even 
from these uh, materials that are uh, easing the right groin. And uh, after that, we think that it's very important to define graft. And I think it's important to do a CT to define if there is an infection or collection of the materials in the abdomen around the graft. And uh, I think that we need a PET. So furthermore, we have the information that patient had no fever, but a positive culture for Staphylococcus epidermidis uh, was defined. The uh, vascular team uh, in that particular vascular unit uh, first uh, excluded, I would assume, any fistula with intestine because they performed gastroduodenoscopy, colonoscopy, which were both negative. And then, as Professor told, they proceeded to CT angio and PET CT scan. So uh, now in front of you, you would have four slides with uh, different images, and I would like you to comment them. Yeah, this is uh, the bypass with the proximal anastomosis below the renal arteries and the distal anastomosis uh, at the level of the femoral arteries. No lesion uh, in the proximal segment, apparently no uh, pseudoaneurysm in the proximal uh, anastomosis. And uh, we can see here probably on the left is uh, the proximal anastomosis and uh, no uh, collection, no gas uh, around the, the graft. And uh, we can see inside of the right limb uh, a stent, but again, no gas around the graft. This is uh, in favor of the absence of uh, aortoenteric fistula, probably, but uh, only in infection. And we can see here on the right side the fistula between uh, collection uh, around the graft and the skin, and on the left side, pseudoaneurysm, and uh, probably there is a involvement of distal anastomosis uh, uh, with no connection between the graft and uh, the femoral artery. And then the last image is of PET-CT scan. Can you comment yeah. on that? Yeah, we can see with the PT, the collection uh, at the level of the both groin and the problem probably in the proximal uh, anastomosis. And uh, at this point, before we do any interventions, uh, what would be your plan of uh, antibiotic therapy? Yeah, again, uh, in this case, we have a collection, uh, the possibility of collection in the groin, but we have even the blood culture that was positive, very close to our colleagues that work in infective disease. And uh, with this colleague, we generally use a specific uh, antibiotic therapy in endovenous uh, treatment and uh, dedicated to the, this case, uh, we have uh, the presence of uh, Staphylococcus epidermidis. Okay, so we have already agreed that this is clearly a graft infection. And uh, what is your treatment choice for this particular patient? Yeah, in this case, uh, we know that according with guidelines, uh, the history of vascular surgery, when we have a graft infection, we need to remove the graft. But the problem is in this case that we have uh, the anastomosis at the level of the groin. And then uh, the hypothesis is to remove the graft, but to replace the graft with the proximal distal anastomosis at the same level. But we need to use uh, generally biological graft if it's possible. Generally, we have in the last three years the possibility to use uh, bovine uh, uh, graft and uh, we can use the bovine graft uh, in these patients or 
We have the possibility to use according with, uh, again, the guidelines of the European Society of Vascular Surgery. The first choice is the use of the superficial femoral veins. Then uh, we can uh, make a reconstruction of the aorta and the aorta bifemoral bypass with uh, the superficial femoral veins. So we both agreed that we need to do a deprivement, remove every th- uh, synthetical material and replace it with a biological one. And that's what the vascular team in that center did. They have chosen the following techniques, so left and right femoral axis and xiphopubic axis and removal of the infected orthobifemoral graft and replacement of it with bovine pericardium graft. We have already discussed that we can use also deep veins to reconstruct the graft. Uh, what other reconstruction methods, for example, extranatomical, can you mention? Yeah, uh, regarding the extranatomical, there is another option that is the axillary bifemoral bypass. In a patient without orthenteric fistula, we prefer uh, to replace it inside to the graft. Okay, so they have successfully performed the procedure, and at this point, we have in front of us CT angio images. Can you comment on them? Yeah, this is uh, the post-operative CT angio. We can see bovine graft with the main body and the bifurcation without any complication at the level of the proximal anastomosis and uh, without uh, any kinking or uh, stenosis at the level of the iliac limbs and uh, probably even uh, to the distal uh, to the distal anastomosis. And the team also performed the PET-CT scan. Can you comment yeah, on that? If you compare this uh, PET scan with the previous and the preoperative uh, uh, period, uh, you can see that here with this uh, PET scan, we have no area of uh, collection and then uh, I think there is uh, no infection after uh, debridement. And the vascular team uh, reports that a post-operative phase was uneventful. She required two units of blood and was extubated in the OR. Patient spent 26 hours in ICU and was discharged home on day 11. How would you follow up this patient? Yeah, uh, generally, follow-up, I think, uh, is clinical, again, a duplex uh, follow-up, and the clinical uh, and the lab uh, follow-up first uh, to evaluate the groin first and uh, to evaluate uh, the uh, blood cells and white uh, blood cells and, again, the the protein C-reactive and the calcitonin to define if there is a and uh, sometimes we need, if the renal function is normal, uh, we need to treat, to evaluate even with the CT, the proximal anastomosis and the main body of the graft in the abdomen. Then uh, the CT only after one year. Yes, and probably the, the antibiotic therapy is defined, as you mentioned before, with infection is to define the length of it and the severity based on the on the labs and the patient's uh, general condition. Professor, we have managed to discuss two clinical cases in great detail. I do hope the future examinees would benefit from it and put the emphasis into the right places.
The other two type of clinical scenarios were endovascular and miscellaneous. Can you just shortly mention what kind of cases are to be expected in endovascular clinical case or miscellaneous clinical case? Yeah, thank you. For endovascular, we uh, in this subgroup of cases, uh, we have uh, all the endovascular treatment. Uh, one of the typical cases is the aortic dissection in the acute or subacute phase. Other option, uh, other possibility is uh, patients with uh, uh, abdominal aortic stenosis, for example, that need endovascular treatment. And uh, other uh, opportunity, other possibility is the treatment of uh, stenosis or occlusion of a brachiocephalic vein or subclavian vein in patients with or without arteriovenous fistula, uh, lower limb, but are absolutely part of our clinical practice. Dear Professor Gargiulio, thank you for making time for this and uh, see you next week where we will cover fee BVS exam preparation volume 3 and we are going to discuss an academic paper. And to our listeners who are preparing for the exam, I would like to remind that we will have two more FBS exam preparation podcasts. All the links with useful information is added into the show notes below each podcast. Also, feel free to reach out if you have any questions. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.